So what happens when you combine my insane curiosity with some of the world's most interesting people? You end up with incredible conversations full of stories, insights, and the defining moment that made them who they are today. This is The David Spizak Show. Welcome to the David Spizak Show. I am absolutely delighted that you're here to join me. I'll tell you why. Uh, Not so that you could hear me kind of ramble on, but because of my guest, I happen to have somebody who's not only an automotive dealer, but somebody I deeply respect as a human being. He's just a remarkable person and as well as a great operator. It's the one and only Scott Simon. Scott, thanks for taking the time to join me today. David, you know, we've been in Clubhouse, running the Clubhouse streets, uh, you know, during COVID. And uh, that's where I really got to know, you know, who you were. And uh, I'll just say this. First of all, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Someone that I admire and respect a ton. Um, real rec- recognizes real, man. You know, when I when I first started talking to you and following you, one, you are incredibly intelligent. You articulate yourself so well. Obviously, you've been extremely successful in the auto industry and uh man i just respect and admire you and uh i'm glad we were able to pull this off we've been trying to but i mean you're you're traveling all the time i get to travel a little bit no we're too busy too busy guys but it's an honor to be here brother thank you so very much it's it's my honor uh as well and i'm just delighted because not only do i get to hang out with you um over the next 30 40 minutes but more importantly, um, I have the opportunity to introduce you or just to, to have everybody who's listening get the opportunity to really get to know you and what makes you and your organization, uh, CMA, Carter Myers Automotive, so special. So I want to start with this. For people that uh, have not been so fortunate to meet you, uh, to meet Scott so far, Scott Simons is the managing partner and executive director of CMA's Valley dealerships. Now that includes eight franchises within five locations. And Scott runs around and hits these, uh, I think constantly. We'll learn about that a little bit more, but um, he's part of the really tremendous Carter Myers Automotive Group, which is Liza Borges' group. Um, And it's important that I mention to you of the many things that make this group special, one of them is 26% of this group is owned by their employees themselves. They're an ESOP. The second thing is CMA has been doing what they've been doing, how they've been doing it for a very long time. Anybody who's read the book, Good to Great, you know, uh, Jim Collins looks for those companies that were competitive and they're set and all of a sudden took off. Well, that's CMA. To qualify to be one of the companies in Good to Great, though, you had to be able to take off and sustain that difference for at least 15 years. CMA is about to celebrate 100 years. So, Scott, as I said, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I want to start with this. First and foremost, how long have you been in this business, in this great industry of ours? Yeah. First of all, I agree with you. You know, you and I are both passionate about the auto industry and and you're exactly right. It's an honor to work with Carter Myers Automotive Group. You know, they gave a young man that had a dream and and my dream was to be a car dealer. The reason why I wanted to be a car dealer was the area that I'm from, which is McDowell County, West Virginia. It's regarded as the poorest county in the United States of America. To me, it's one of the richest. And the reason why it's one of the richest is because everything that I learned as a child growing up. 
I also knew as a child growing up that I needed to get out of there. <laughs> I saw the poverty. I saw the drugs. I saw uh, people standing on the street corners. And I did not want to become one of them. And at one point when I was growing up, I was heading down that road of, uh, of just not be, you know, of, uh, be, being caught up in the environment. And luckily, I had two really good parents. I had a, a dad and a mom. They're, they're still around. They actually live a couple of miles from my house. I got to take them to an event uh, just last night, an event, a business after hours type of event. And uh, they were just thanking me about taking them. And so it's a joy to have both of them around. Um, and the reason why I wanted to be a car dealer was uh, our first vehicle that I can remember was a, a Chevrolet Celebrity. And my dad took that Chevrolet Celebrity to the Vogue School and had the Vogue School fix the car. And if you say, well, Scott, what's the big deal there? Well, he took it there because it was free to get fixed. And my dad grew up one of nine. My mom grew up one of nine. So they grew up during the, they, they're very, they were raised very uh, lower middle class, lower class. Um, and they fought and scratched for everything. And their whole goal in life, their whole goal in life, my dad worked five jobs, never made more than $32,000 a year in any one job. My mom was a lab supervisor. Their whole goal in life was to give their two boys, me and my brother, a chance, a chance that they didn't have. My brother's much smarter than me. He's an ER doctor in Texas. And oh. I, you know, I, I remember seeing a guy, David, kind of like you, dressed to the nines, polished, just, you know, good looking clothes, good looking guy, groomed. And and I I, I saw him, we were at church. And I was just enamored by this guy how he looked and his presence and how he carried himself. Then we went out after church and I saw him getting this shiny car. And I said, dad, mom, what's he do? They said, well, I think he, I think he sells cars. Well, wait, wait a minute. You can, he must do well. He must, he drives that nice car. I want to drive that nice car. I want to wear those nice clothes. So from a very early age, I told my mom and dad that I wanted to be a car dealer. And uh, they always said, son, work hard. Dream big. And if you want it bad enough and you work really hard and, and you treat people right, you can get there. And we believe in you. Um, but they pushed my brother and I. They said, also, you're going to go get education. So I went and got my four-year degree in two and a half years, working full-time the whole time. Got my master's in a year and a half. So I did six years worth of school in four. The reason why I graduated my undergrad degree in three years is because my uh, two and a half years, excuse me, is because my brother did it in three. <laughs> I, had to be, I had to beat my brother. He was able to go on and go to medical school. Uh, I, I didn't. I love my brother, but, uh, you know, I most definitely surpassed him in what you would consider being successful. It just took me a little bit longer than uh, than he. <laughs> but my brother paid for my parents paid for all of my school and paid for all my brother's school and said, all we ask you to do is, is do this for our grandchildren. Pay it forward. Don't give them anything. So when I told my dad, David, that I was going to go be a car salesman salesperson, excuse me. He said, well, what for? He said, you went and got this master's degree. I said, no one could ever take it away from me. And I know you're extremely disappointed in me, but if I'm ever going to own a car dealership, I need to go sell cars. And he said, son, we believe in you. We believe in you. You go for it. So that journey started when I was about 23 years old. I'm, I'm 50 now. Can't believe I'm 50. Holy shit. You anyway, look magnificent. Yeah. Time flies. Does. So, so I started with uh, Huddy Hyman, and Huddy Hyman is in Richmond, Virginia. Um, they gave me a job uh, selling Saturns with a guy named Jim Milner. 
Buddy Hyman had all the Saturn retailers in, in the Richmond area down to Virginia Beach. He actually got the smart car franchise in, in France because of what he did with, with uh, Saturn. And there's even some thoughts that maybe CarMax, which originated in Richmond, kind of emulated how Saturn and he did business. And that's where, that's where Circus City formed CarMax. So Huddy told me a lot. Uh, one thing about Huddy is, is he didn't pay very well. So I learned a lot, but I, I didn't get paid very well. So I ended up going from there as a finance director at a Pontiac GMC store, went and be general manager at the age of 27 or 28 wow. at a uh, Honda dealership in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It was there about nine years, had a chance at 37. Uh, Liza Borges and Carter Myers gave me a chance of buying into my first store. That was in 2010, 2012, took over Volkswagen store. 2014, took, we bought a Nissan Subaru store here. 16 got Chrysler as an open point. And when I came into this store, David, in 2010, I ran the store 30 miles away that just dominated this area because I had a good team. And uh, for 47 of my 103 associates came with me over time. Oh. And then when I was here, uh, I, before I sold one car, I said, my goal is to buy every car dealership in town. And those people thought I was crazy. They said, you're crazy. You hadn't even, <laughs> you hadn't even started yet. And I said, my goal is to buy every car dealership in town. And uh, some people laughed at me. You know, some people, you know, when you have big dreams, uh, you know, some people will laugh at you. Um, and, you know, you just remember those laughs. You know, you, you bottled up. And when there's days you feel like not doing what we need to do, which we have those days. I remember what they said. I, I can remember. And uh, I'm not a bitter person. I just use that as motivation. You know, there's there's um, <clears throat> I knew this was going to be such a fascinating, interesting and valuable conversation for uh, myself and for anybody listening, Scott, and you don't disappoint, that's for sure. I can't wait to keep motoring on here, no pun intended, but there's so much to unpack there. I, I have to rewind the tape and thank you for sharing that. But isn't it interesting that you grew up and you literally showed me a picture of the house where you grew up and you, know, you had pulled back into that neighborhood um, to visit that house and your wife, uh, your dear wife was with you and she would not get out of the car. If I remember right. Isn't that true? Yes, sir. Yeah. That, neither would my children. I mean, they were scared. So, this was 10 o'clock on a Sunday. And so I said, 10 Guys, o'clock on a Sunday morning, nobody's getting out of that car because that's how rough uh, and tumble this particular area is. But yet, yep. you know, that, that area, thank God, you know, that you grew up in that area. And, you know, it's so interesting to me. I say all the time to my kids, I say to people, I've said it for decades. It's so interesting when you have a hard beginning full of adversity, you know, and struggle and rejection that it fuels you uh, for a better tomorrow. It also sets you up, I think, to be on balance, more successful as you get older, because when life hits you in the face and it's going to hit all of us in the face at some point. You sit there and go, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I've been through this already. But when you combine that with incredible parents who not only do a brilliant job of teaching you life lessons, instill things like integrity and work ethic inside you, and also never once said you can't do that. I'll tell you what, to me, that's pure magic. You know, every kid at the age of four, five, six, seven, if you ask them, there is literally nothing they can't do. 
nothing they can't dream and nothing that's not possible. Somehow though, over the course of time, sometimes it's teachers. For me, I had a a high school counselor who told me basically give up. Uh, Don't bother going to college. It's not for you. You're not intended to be successful. Um, Go get some, you know, just go get a job, you know, and that's it. And I was like you, I was like, are you serious? You're going to like break a kid's spirit at the ripe old age of 16. So you were very lucky. uh, And it's so interesting. You have to look back on that so many times, especially since you're not far from that area and go, thank God. Thank God I started there in the grind and I learned the grind from, from an early age. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. The second thing is, man, you, you just cut off a little slice of Elon. I, I, I picked up Elon's biography from Walter Isaacson. It's a mere 650 pages or something. So not exactly easy reading, but one of the things that's so notable about him is he literally doesn't think anything's not possible. And he's got Asperger's, which means on one hand, you know, anytime you hear about Elon's interactions with people, you got to keep in mind that he doesn't have the same mechanisms that most of us do in terms of social conventions or empathy. He just doesn't see that. And he's used that, what many people would consider a negative, as fuel. He's turned it into a superpower. But one of the things that is allows him to do is to be completely audacious. So to be a kid coming up in that area and saying, Hey, if that guy at church, if that's what he's doing, that's what I'm doing. Number two. All right, mom and dad, I will honor you. I will absolutely honor you. I'll get my education. It did not at all make me waver on where I'm going. And number three, to draw a line in the ground and say, Hey, I'm going to own every freaking franchise in the city before I'm done. It's amazing. It's just absolutely remarkable what you've been able to accomplish so far. And the cool thing is you are only 50. You know, Scott, 50 is the new 29. So yeah, you got, that's what you're, I, you're good, brother. You're good. Now I, I want to ask you this um, because, and thank you. So when you came into CMA after starting and, and working as you did in the first place for that first gentleman, and then you worked nine years and you take you up to the age of, I think you said 37, right? By the, by the time that you were introduced to Liza and she gave you that opportunity. Um, two questions. What do you think she saw in you at that time that gave her unwavering belief and conviction that you were the right person to be a leader um, in her organization? And what was, what's been the number one thing that you've seen in CMA uh, as part of CMA versus the previous places you worked or frankly, other dealers in the industry? Yeah. So great, great questions. Um, a couple of things that I figured out. If I wanted to be a car dealer, I, I met with the reps. I always wanted to be in the sales meetings, even when I was in F&I. And what I figured out, David, was what mattered to the manufacturers is market penetration, CSI. That's, what, that's what's important. Profitability, dealer profitability is in there, but that's not most important to the manufacturers. It's how many of my product can you sell in this market and then what is your customer satisfaction score? Then they'll go look at your balance sheets and you know your assets, but that's not one or two. So when I figured that out by talking to the reps and looking at the meetings and say, oh, well, your market penetration is this. I, when I was in finance, 
started putting people that had credit challenges. I First of all, I built a solid relationship with the manufacturer of finance. And I said, I will send you all my business, even if I pay a higher rate, but I need your help. I need your help to help me sell new cars. And I, you, that's what, that's the reason why you're around GMAC, NMAC, you know, uh, Honda Finance, all these wonderful partners that we have now. I said, I will send you the paper. Matter of fact, I'm going to push new cars, but I need your help. I need you to help me get deals done and give me routes to go. So what I did was at the Saturn stores, we boosted sales up to one of the top. Well, I knew the manufacturers would sit and say, how is it Saturn of Richmond now selling this many new cars? And then I started doing going after leads where maybe they had a little bit more credit challenge. That's how I started to make a name for myself. Then I went to the Pontiac G store. We were number eight in Richmond. For every, at the time, for every four Chevrolet sold, there was one Pontiac, one GMC sold. Well, we were eight in all of GM. We took the store to number two as a team. So then people started coming in going, how is this Pontiac GMC store in Laburnum Avenue, Richmond, Virginia, near the airport, not the best area, beating these stores that are on the primaries and they're beating all these Chevrolet stores. So people started calling. Then I said, well, if I could go to any of the manufacturer meetings, I would like to go. And I, what I did was I would go shake the hand. So like Tom Saltarelli is a very retired from GM. He and I became really good friends because he liked me because guess what? I took the store with the team. Not you me, made him me. look good. Made him look good. So then when preferential treatment came out, he would say, hey, who wants to drive Dale Earnhardt to the round Richmond International Raceway? I said, oh, I'm a big man. Dale Earnhardt fan. Who guess who drove him around? Oh, My man. Wife and I. Because I knew to be, you know, to be friends with him. Matter of fact, when I left there, he was like, man, let's just help you find another store, another GM store. And I said, well, I'm going to go to a Honda store in Harrisonburg because that store was not, was one of the worst in the country. And even when I told people I was going there, they're going, what are you doing? This is crazy. My wife stayed back in Richmond for like nine months. I lived across the street in a brick house. I had a cot, a microwave, and that's it. And I worked every single day because I said, honey, if I can turn this store around, I'm, I will not be denied. I said, I may fail. I may. I said, but stay back. Let me let me make sure. I'm going to, but I, it's going to, I'm going to have to work seven days a week. And what I did was the store was only open six days a week, David, but I wanted it so bad. I went in on Sunday, <laughs> took volunteers, and I wouldn't do Cars, but I would test drive, set everything up, and they would come back in Monday to the point where the dealer said, we're not open on Sundays. I said, I'm volunteered. You don't have to pay me. I'm not delivering anything today. He goes, what? what, what? I said, I have goals and dreams. Like, I, like I, I, And I have to sell a bunch of new cars to make a name for myself. Well, the reason why Liza and Carter, they came to visit our store in Harrisonburg because once we turn that store around, we're beating her store in Richmond. So they came to look at our operations and see how in the heck were we selling all this cars? So that's where I met Carter and Liza. That's amazing. Because of the sacrifice there. Now, David, I got paid at that store. I prepay more in taxes per quarter than I made there in a year. Now, really sit and think about that for a minute. I was way underpaid, way undervalued, and I stuck it out for nine long years. Some people would say you should be bitter about it because you cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, no, no. That was part of the journey. And I wouldn't yeah. got this position if I didn't do that position. That's right. So when Carter and Liza, I would go to the meetings, shake everybody's hand. When I met people, David, what I said was, my name's Scott Simons. Uh, this is where I work. I want to be a car dealer one day. And if you know anybody that's looking for a good or somebody that that they're looking for a good car guy, please contact me with them. I told the manufacturers I was looking for my own opportunity. I told everybody, and trust me, during that nine years there, I tried to buy the store that Liza and I bought 
together twice. The son died of cancer. But when we were working out the final details, his dad met with me after he died. He he senile and decided to sell it or to give it to his daughter and his nephew. When when he didn't sell it to me, I said, "Now we're going to really kick the rear ends." So we're out selling them four to one new. We just went like six, seven to one new. I said, "I'm going to make them sell that store." Liza and Carter um, came to visit through a mutual friend. They the person called me and says, "Hey, Scott." As they were buying that store, they're looking for a partner. Are you interested? And I said, <laughs> yes, please. Bing, 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 bing. Hello? <laughs> yes, yes. This, yes, I'm, I'm interested. And my dealer there gave me an opportunity. Matter of fact, I just saw him at an event last night here locally because I still live in the same place. And uh, he made a lot of promises he did not do. And I do not begrudge him at all because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if he didn't give me that chance. Um, so I thank him for that. And, and I, I sincerely appreciate him. But once I got my chance, it was my chance. Um, so that's how that partnership came about. And, and Liza and Carter have been so good to me. They provided me with opportunities I only once dreamed of. And there's the people and Carter it doesn't get any better. Carter Myers Automotive Group. So what did I learn when I came here, David? I knew how to sell cars. At the dealership I was at, I got paid on gross because the dealer messed with the numbers. And I won't really get into it, but that's his business. He could do whatever he wants with it. But he, I never got a chance to look at financial statement. All I got paid was on gross. I know we were making him more money than he could even hide because we were, the stores lose like a quarter of a million. And I know this from talking to the controller, we, we took it up to like three or four or five million dollars. So I knew he was making a lot of money. Uh, he, he didn't, it wasn't reflected in my paycheck, but that's okay. So when I came to Carter Myers, I met with Liza and she made me, you know, she said, we interviewed and she said, okay, we would like to offer the opportunity. This is what we can do for you. And this was after a couple months, and there, um, so it didn't happen immediately. Um, you know, I said, Liza, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm very loyal to where I'm at. I'll have to get back to you. David, I was so ignorant and was so kept in the dark about numbers, I didn't even understand the offer. I didn't understand the phrases she was using. Wow. I understood salary. I understood them get paid on net, but I didn't know what net would be. It's wow. a brand, you know, it's, it, it would be we're buying a store. And it was low producing because you can imagine we went back there and really started kicking its butt. My goal was to put it out of business. That was my goal. Yeah. So I didn't even understand her offer. So I called a good buddy of mine named Billy Cole. Billy Cole owns dealerships in West Virginia, Virginia from Bluefield. That's where I'm from. He's ran for the governor of West Virginia. Um, awesome individual. At that point, too, I was thinking about going back and working for Billy in Bluefield, but I really didn't want to go back home. I don't I, 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 I didn't want to go back. So Billy, I told Billy what she said because I took notes. He said, you, 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 you took it, didn't you? He said, you said yes, didn't you? And I said, Billy, I don't understand. He said, you hang up the phone right now. You call that lady back and you tell her, thank you very much. You're wicked. You start. <laughs> yes, sir. He said, no, you hang up right now. I called my wife. I had tears. You know, uh, I cried. You know, and I oh, said, honey, man. I think oh, I'm finally getting my opportunity. Oh, I think man. I can trust these people. Oh, man. And uh, I called Liza <clears> back. Thank you for this opportunity. I sincerely appreciate it. Yes, I'll come aboard what I need to do. And that, from there, it took about 60 more days. I came on as a consultant. Um, and yeah, that's where I started with Carter Myers Automotive Group. But through that whole process, I'm going to tell you, David, they were some of the most respect. They actually sent me back to my dealer, not telling them where I was going. And sh- they said, we're shocked he didn't sell you or give you part of this through sweat equity. Go back to him and give him one more chance. But don't tell him where you're going. Don't tell him here. 
but just go back. And I did. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to sell you any part of it when I pushed him again. When I really backed him into the corner, he said, I'm not going to sell you any part of it. I said, okay, no problem. He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I said, you know, sir, I've been had plenty of offers. I told you every time someone offered me a position, what they offered me, and I told you I wasn't taking it because I truly believe you're going to offer me ownership. It's been nine years. It's time for me. I've got next time when they call, I'm going to talk. And when I get the right offer, I'm gone. I said, I'm just letting you know. He said, okay. Did you got to do what you got to do? I said, yes, sir. I did. And that's, that's what happened. Uh, I'll tell you what I have. I've been in this business, Scott, for 43 years since 1981, when I got out of the service. Um, and I've seen a lot, done a lot, experienced a lot, dealt with a lot, um, and met a lot of really, truly extraordinary people along the way. Um, dealers, OEMs, vendor partners. Um, I have to tell you, like, you know, in the last 20 minutes, I mean, I'm just like jaw dropped. I'm, I'm in awe. Um, Cause this journey, this story of yours is so quintessentially, you know, the American dream. It's so quintessentially that, that underdog, a story <clears throat> it's, it's something that if you put it on paper, there is little or no chance that this is going to happen. You know, it's like a Disney movie. I don't know if, if you ever saw the movie McFarland USA, if anybody has not seen the movie McFarland USA, <clears throat> I'm telling you, watch it tonight, watch it this weekend. It'll just absolutely blow you away. What this will, coach, will, will, what this coach did at McFarland USA when he went into a, a city, he was a complete and utter failure as a football coach. Um, and he wanted to be a football coach at basically this last chance that he had to do it. And they instead said, yeah, we're not going to give you that. You're going to be the cross country coach. And he was in a, a very, very uh, poor area. Like you're describing your, your hometown. <clears throat> well, cross country is a sport uh, for the wealthy communities. And he had to go yeah. up against every wealthy community school out there, but you have to, I won't say anymore. It's just spectacular. But <clears throat> again, so much that I could unpack from what you said, you know, one of the things um, is I have a quote, you know, I always say relentlessness cannot be defeated. Relentless cannot be defeated because relentless means I will not stop. I'm not stopping. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you believe. <clears throat> I'm just going to keep going. And if somebody does never gives up, it's just a matter of time. I always say human beings are either ifs or whens, right? The ifs give up. The whens never do. So it just is a matter of when they're going to get there. You're, you're that you're like the poster boy for when, uh, there. So that's one thing. Number two is just a shout out for CMA net profit. Then really the number one responsibility for any business in the world, as you know, is to be profitable, unapologetically profitable because otherwise we can't continue to, to take care of our clients. We can't continue to employ our people. What's one of the things that's really striking about CMA is in many respects, net profit is number two because they will never, ever, ever allow the things that are part of their DNA, part of their ideology, part of their philosophy, part of who they are as an organization and as people that will never take a backseat to profitability. 
And that's one of the things that came through loud and clear in, in what you said. Can you imagine somebody that wants to buy a store and it's so hard to acquire stores in this country, 2% of dealerships in any given year will sell 24% of dealers are looking to buy. Think about that. 12 people want to buy for every store that wants to sell. And yet because they are, they are Carter Myers, they said, Hey, before we do this, you go back, give them one more shot. And they knowing that if that dude gives you that shot, they're out. They lost that deal, but it didn't yeah. matter to them. And look at how things turned out. So um, we talked about audacity, but, you know, also just remarkable work ethic for anybody out there. You know, too many people today have the mindset that, hey, if I'm getting paid 20 bucks or say 15 bucks an hour, I'll do $20 an hour work when you start paying me 20. No, no, no. Do $20 an hour work. And they will notice it, force them to notice that. And that's exactly what you did. Third thing is your long-term focus fueled not only this relentlessness, but your persistence, your tenacity. It's almost like you were never worried yourself. I will get there, but like CMA, I'm not going to shortcut this. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to worry about the, what this person paid me. I'm looking for the long term and in man, oh man, has that worked out for you? So just so many lessons for people uh, to, to, to derive from what you just shared. I data so too. Also too, it's finding the right opportunity not, not to interrupt you, but no, please. It, it, I was at, I want to trip through um, Honda and I was at the Miami Rich Carlton and I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. Always happy. And there's, that's another story you. of mine. 50 years of torture. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and uh, I was at the Rich Carlton. Marco Coleman, first round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins, played at Georgia Tech, walks through. Michael Jordan was playing in the uh, Pro-Am with Tiger Woods. He was staying there. So I see Marco Coleman there. I recognize him. And I'm like, honey, that's Marco Coleman. So I got to talk to, later later on in the evening. I saw him and I went up and said, Marco, I said, I hate to be a stalker, man, but I know you, you play for the Miami Dolphins. I'm a huge Dolphins fan. It's nice to meet you. He said, what are you, what are you doing here? He said, what, what brings you here? I guess I kind of looked like I didn't belong there. You know? <laughs> I, don't, you know? I was like, well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I want a trip. And he goes, cool. He said, what trip? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a Honda uh, general manager and I won this trip. Which we used to win a lot of them back then. Manufacturers cut back on trips. Oh man, do you remember those? You remember those trips? What was the name of the company? It starts with an M. Uh, Merits. Merits. Oh my God. Yes. I went yeah. on a Honda Top trip to uh, Marbella, Spain. You might have even been there when I was there. I think some of those international ones, though, they go to Carter Lives. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but anyway, and and he said, "What do you do?" And I said, "I you know I I run a I run a car dealership." He said, "Let me get your name and number." And I said, "Okay." I said, sure. He texted me the next day. He said, nice to meet you. I'm going to be in touch. Well, come to find out, he owns like 17 or 18 businesses in the Jacksonville area. He, with a guy at um, at a Nissan store or worked for NEMAC, was going to form an automotive group, and they were going to put a Kia franchise in Atlanta. Well, he offered me to go meet with him, and I went down there and looked and actually met with them. This is when I was at Harrisonburg Auto Mall. And I went to the area, wasn't fond of the area. It was a brand new company. So, some, Dave, something didn't feel right. Something in my gut told me. So I can say, hey, man, I really appreciate it. They made me an offer that was blew my mind. Now, keep in mind, I was making 
well below average where I was at. Yeah. And my wife went, she said, I don't want to move here. I don't, I don't get a good feeling. I don't, not in a great area. She goes, Scott, like this ain't the one. And I said, you feel it? I feel it. No problem. So I told Mark, I said, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity. I wish you nothing but the best, sir. But this guy I used to like, not idolize, but I used to watch him. I said, but we're going to say no. He said, but is it you or your wife? Or what What, what do we need to do to sweeten this offer? Because I'll pay you out of one of my other companies. Like you're the guy. And I said, Marco, it's not about money. It's not about money. My wife and I just don't, we just, we, we just, we just don't want it to take the opportunity. And I really appreciate it. So he said, I'm flying up there. I'm taking you and your wife out to dinner. Oh my gosh. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I said, Marco, thank you, sir. With all due respect, but there's nothing you can offer me to get me to go. And he said, you're kidding me. He said, I've never not hired somebody I wanted. I said, sir, with all due respect, thank you. <laughs> we still keep in contact. I got a cell phone number. That store they opened, it was closed within two years. The automotive group doesn't exist anymore. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? So, isn't it crazy, Scott? You know, they call it the butterfly effect, right? You change one thing in somebody's life and everything after that changes in not only their life, but so many people. <clears throat> that one decision completely changed the trajectory. You and I aren't talking. We're not no. even talking. I don't even know you if that no. doesn't happen. Not that you know, it's anything life shattering. If, if you don't uh, meet me or anything, it's not that I'm just saying everything in your world doesn't exist. If it wasn't for that decision. And most people listen to me, folks, most people are jumping on the offer because, because they're looking at things in the, in the upfront, right? They're looking at the short term. Again, the short term looks absolutely fantastic. But when you, when you have that vision when you're so you have so much clarity which is frankly another elon thing he has insane clarity on where he wants to go and what he wants to do and when you have that you know between you and, and your wife you there was no hesitation you knew in your heart and your gut that that was the right thing to do and look at how life has turned out for you absolutely what a remarkable story thank you for sharing that i have to ask you you know, now that you've been a dealer for 13 years and you've gone from having one store to having a group of stores. So now it's a lot different, as you know, running one store. It's like going from I was telling somebody yesterday, going from having one kid to two. All of a sudden, it feels like it's a 10 on one man situation. I mean, you just feel like you're outnumbered uh, in every way. But you go from one store to two. It's remarkably different. Now you have five, eight franchises, mean you have eight OEM relationships that you must nurture because that's a really also an important part of CMA is they do a brilliant job of creating true partnerships and great relationships with OEMs. And, and by the way, could you let everybody know how many stores are in the CMA group today? We, we have 23, David, and uh, we got years ago, well, five or six years ago, we got an open point Subaru store in Richmond, which, you know, is impossible, impossible to get. Impossible. Then we just we just got a uh, open point Honda in Maryland. There'll be our first store in Maryland. We got a couple in West Virginia, but it's it's basically 23, uh, 23 what we call locations. And, and, and when uh, you started, you were dealer number six. Correct. So yeah, you went from, number in 13 years from six stores quadrupled the size of the organization without diluting anything that's important about that organization. And which is a whole nother subject, which is you can't, I, the only thing that could slow down or stop consolidators, any organization from growing in my book 
it's not the economy. It's not the industry. It's not the market. It's not the franchises. It's, do you have a bench? Are you building a bench of people? Are you developing people? So when an opportunity comes along that you have a Scott Simon sitting out there, who's waiting, chomping at the bit for their opportunity. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Maybe touch on maybe touch on your mentoring program as part of that. Absolutely. So I learned early on that if you don't train people around you, you're going to have to do everything. And I was the guy that did everything at first. Part of it was my own ignorance. You know, some part we all go through it where, man, if I teach everybody everything, then they can get rid of me. And we all, I think, go through that ignorant thinking because we just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's the old mantra. Well, if I do everything myself, I'll do it right. If I want something done correctly, I do it myself. Well, that will burn you out, and your own that ceiling is right here. You can only go so far. So, luckily, through making mistakes, I've learned from my mistakes. And one of my mistakes was I didn't train other people. Uh, what I what I learned from that is is all my department leaders. Okay, if you're if you're the the parts manager, who's your number two? Pour into that person. Because one day, if you ever want to be a parts director over five stores, you're going to have your number twos that you can move up to number ones. Plus, if you ever want to take a vacation and enjoy it without your phone ringing off the hook, or if you ever want to have time off, you've got to train the people that are underneath you. So you rank your employees like we rank our service writers, four service writers. This one's ranked one. This one's ranked four. So on a schedule, one goes with four, two goes with three. And certain things like that, people don't even think of. Like I also have rules where if someone's off in a department and it's on the schedule, someone else in that department, two salespeople can't be off at the same time. Two managers within the showroom can't be off at the same time. And then we say, okay, if you're the GM, you're the GSM and you want to be a GM, who are you retraining to replace you? Because if I can't replace you, then I can't promote you up. Because let me tell you something, we promote from within. I have 20 managers or so. And I think 17 of them have sold cars here, David. So 20 variable operations managers. And we share with everybody their career flight plan. You start off, a lot of people we promote out of recon. You know, not a lot of people want to stay in recon the rest of their life. We find out with their personal professional goals. <clears throat> three personal, three professional. You give it to me and your leader. We know. So if you say, Scott, I want to be where you're at one day. Okay. I'm going to help you get there. It's a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of one-on-one coaching, and I'm going to be very direct because you you raised your hand. I did that with Ben St. Hours. Ben St. Hours was our GSM of the tour of the Nissan store. When we bought it, they were losing about a quarter million dollars a year. Within one year, we made over two million dollars, two hundred fifty thousand to two million within one year. One that Ben didn't know what he was doing. Ben had no leadership. The owner wasn't here. The general manager worked twenty hours a week. I, I, I was there. I remember the first two days we bought it. Ben was like, are, are you here every day before we get here and here after we leave? I said, yes. I said, I am. He goes, this is this, he goes, this blows my mind. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, my GM before didn't work more than 20 hours. I said, that's why we bought you. That's, that's why we bought you. I said, now I'm going to help you. We're going to get your proper support, get your proper training. And he says, I want to be where you're at one day. I said, let's go. I'll, I'll help you. Ben runs our home. And in uh, two years ago, I sold him 5% of mine. I didn't have to. I don't have to sell any of my percentage. That 20% of Honda, of the franchise, I sold him 5%. And he cried. Because you know why? Ben's goal was, 
to be a dealer. Amazing. He started washing cars when he's 14. He's 37 years Amazing. old. Actually, he beat me. I was 37. That <laughs> sucker was 35. Good for and him. And he says, Scott, like, I really don't want to go work in any other store within CMA. I'd rather work with you. I said, Ben, if you had an opportunity, you go. And, and, and obviously, I would never hold him back. But I, I, if I tell him I'm going to do something to show him how to get there, David, when he works every single day and performs at levels that he can't be denied, i got to be a man of my word. Now, on paper, that costs me, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or so a year, at least. Not to me. I've, I've got a jewel. I've got, I've got one of the best. And that's how I, that's how I treat people. Plus, if I say I'm going to do something, what I learned where I grew up, be a man of your word. A handshake means something. You know, give to others, pour into others, and it'll come back to you. A lot of times, David, in life, A, expect C, which equates C. No, you can do all you can do all these great things and you don't see nothing from it. That doesn't mean that I need to change at Harrisonburg Auto Mall because I was getting paid percentage of what I was really worth. That doesn't mean I was going to lay down and not work. When I found out what other people made, I just didn't know better. I didn't, yeah. I was ignorant. I didn't know. Um, so the next man or woman up, train the person you've got to have depth in order to have time off. Our managers are cross-trained. Every single one of them can do finance. They can appraise cars. They can desk deals. So they're interchangeable. So when somebody's off, you know, they're, we don't miss a whole lot. Um, I have about eight core people that, that I lead, but I also have an open door policy. Anybody can walk in that door and come in and talk to me at any time. They have my cell phone anytime. If you come in and you talk about something work-related, it can be personal. I know a lot of personal things about my team because I get to know them and they share with me and they can trust me. But if it has to do with something to do with, with the, the dealership you're in, the first thing I do is say, David, thank you for coming to meet with me. When you start talking, I say, let me ask you a question. Have you talked to your leader about this? Because if you haven't talked to them about it and if they didn't violate HR rules, then I need you to go talk to them first because let me explain what happens. You're going to come to me. I'm going to hear your side. I'm going to hear their side. That builds animosity. You need to go talk to them. Plus, I do not put up a backstabbing. So I need you to go talk to them first and then come back and talk to me. If you haven't done that yet, then please don't address things with work. And then also, too, you're not allowed to come complain. If there is a problem, you need to come with a solution or you don't come in. Yep. So that's that's the things I, that we I go over. That's kind a, of the culture that we built. I had a very, you know, I had such a great mentor and he taught me the same thing. First of all, you know, he taught me when somebody comes in if you're going to discuss a problem, have at least three solutions. But and number two, the solutions, they have to be good for the organization, good for everybody in the organization, not just you, and good for our customers. And if you can't say yes to all three, flip a 180, go back out of the hallway, go back to work and come up with something that's going to meet that, that, that same benchmark. So I, I love that you, um, I love that you do that. I also love that, you know, you just made me think of like, for some reason, Kurt Warner, you know, or Steph Curry, Steph Curry, you know, changed the game of basketball forever. You you look at somebody like Russell Westbrook, who's supremely talented. You'd say many people would say he's far more talented than Steph in many respects. This is a guy that broke the, the record for triple doubles, which had stood the test of time for probably 60 years since Oscar Robertson. The guy's never won a championship. And it's highly unlikely that he ever will. Why? Well, because he has his hands on the ball at something like 42 or 45% of the time. Meaning if Russ is basically saying, I'm going to do everything myself, 
you look at the great Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, when he was doing that type of an approach, he didn't win anything. It wasn't until he brought in, he, he realized he needed to have people around him. He needed the Steve Kerr's. He needed the uh, Scotty Pippins. He needed you know, the Bill Cartwrights. He needed those people and he needed them to step up. So one of the things that was so uh, great about him and watching that documentary, The Last Dance, which there's another one. If you if somebody hasn't watched that that documentary, it's spectacular. Um, but here's a guy that had more intensity, passion and work ethic in a practice than most players have during a game. I mean, that dude took practice as seriously as he took the NBA championship. And if you didn't come to work to work, he was calling you out, period. Because nobody, nobody wants to work around people that are not pulling their weight, that are not taking pride in their existence. But all that has to come from leadership. And so what you are doing within that organization to help instill that in your people and to allow people what's cool is to ironically achieve the same dream that you had. And my yeah. question to you is this, Scott, as proud as you are, and you have to be proud. It's not easy for any of us at times to be pr- uh, prideful because oftentimes as kids, we're taught not to be prideful. We're taught not to be selfish. Um, but as hard as it is for you to say, David, I'm just so proud of everything I've done. I would have to, I'd have to believe that, you might have even gotten a little bit more joy, a little bit more of a thrill and a little bit more pride when you were able to make his dream come true versus when you were able to make your dream come true. Is that fair? That's fair. I, you know, that's absolutely fair. I mean, I saw me and him and I would like to help other people realize their dreams, which that's something that CMA offers. I mean, we've got not every dealership or retail location has a partner but they offer partnership opportunities. And that's unheard of. I mean, as you well know, and also all partnerships are not created equal. There's some partnerships out there that your rent is way, way, way above market. <laughs> I know some of them. You know, you probably oh, was worth that. You know, I mean, your rent, they almost, they, they, they just expense you to death to where you can't make it. So the numbers, and I've advised those people like, oh, you know, I got offered this. I said, well, yeah, let's take, let me see their financial statement. Do you see what the rent is? Did you, Management uh, fees, what, administrative fees. Uh, uh, what's their hard packs? Yeah. What's their hard packs on products? Yeah. Where's, where's the reinsurance money? Going? I yep. mean, there's all sorts of questions. It's not just as simple as looking at it. And these people don't know. They were me. You know, when I came here, you asked, what did I learn? I learned, I knew how to sell cars. I knew how to build a team. I knew how to build a team that, that, that then we sold cars, but it's building a team first. And we had goals and, and everything. Um, and we were all aligned. But they taught me how to run a business. First thing they did was said, you're going to dealer cat. I said, I've always wanted to go to dealer cat. And my dealer wouldn't send me. You know why? Because you got to take your financial statement to go to he the dealer He didn't want cat. you to know. He didn't want the transparency. Because then I'd have been like, then I would have met everybody else and said, over dinner, what do you, if you don't mind me asking, what do you make? Yeah. What's your pay plan? And I would have been like, I'd have, you know. Oh, man. Blew me completely your hair away. would have so, been on fire. Yeah. But he didn't want me to look at, he didn't want me to have access to the statements. So when they said Simi Dealer Academy, I said, thank God. And I tell you, going to the NADA Dealer Academy was the best decision I made in my career, second to work from, key, for, from CMA, because I learned so much, you know, and then joined 20 groups. Net to sales, as you sit around the room, are, um, is where you rank. 
And, you know, I would always want to sit in that first position, which a lot of times top we were of the number page. One. Yeah. But yeah, we were, we were, num- we were first page on top uh, to the point where now we do our own 20 group within CMA. You know, we have our own composite, we do our own thing. So, yeah, so I learned those things. But, David, you know, how can I have, and I have bad days. I'm not perfect. I, you know, I make mistakes often. Um, I'll quickly admit when I make a mistake, and a lot of times I ask people in this situation, what, what should, what would you do if I were you? Think about it like as an owner. We want to be in business forever. What would you do? What would you be doing? They'll tell me. They'll say, well, Scott, they lied to us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're a customer. I don't care if they misrepresented something. We got to take care of the customer. And so now they know when they come to me, I'm going to just say, take care of them anyway. So I said, you're empowered to make decisions. Go make the decision. Make the decision as though you own the business, which you do, and that you're going to be here in business forever. And your name means something in the community. But, you know, going through all that I went through, whenever I feel favored, whenever I feel like that I've been fortunate, like I'm very thankful of where I'm at. A lot of people would kill to be where I'm at. So when the days that I, it is a little slower than normal with the UAW strike and all these other things and 180 associates and, you know, this one's, unfortunately, this one's father passed away and they're out and I got to make sure I call them. And this customer just died and we're going to go as a good customer. We're going to go to that funeral. And then I travel for the manufacturer meetings. I just, I just have to sit and think, where did you come from where you are? How dare you be negative and have a bad day? Yep. How dare you? There's people that would kill to be in your seat. Yep. So I have to be reminded sometimes that I'm so extremely fortunate that my problems pale in comparison and that I'm blessed. I, I know a lot of people overuse that word. I'm very fortunate. I'm highly favored. I do believe that I've gotten luck. I do believe that... Um, I've been surrounding myself with some amazing people and I've been given opportunities. There's people that are better than me that have worked harder than me that have been not been given the opportunity that I was given. And I never want to take that for granted. I never want to be, I could be, my whole world could be falling apart. But when I walk into this store, my team deserves the best Scott Simons they can get. And that's what I hope to deliver every single day. I'm here to help them. I'm here to help them become the best versions of them possible, knowing I'm not the best version of me possible. That's my goal. I, I, I love that. It's, it's really remarkable in life that we could be so imperfect and at the same time help somebody else to achieve the best version of themselves. Just giving everything we have, you know. Um, <clears throat> there's so much uh, I want to ask, and I know we're running out of time here, so I want to be respectful of your time and respectful of listeners' times, but I want to ask you as we wrap up, I want to uh, maybe go into a little bit of a speed round. Is that okay? So I'm going to sure. ask you some questions and I'm, I want to hear like 30 to 60 second answers. Yeah. So here, here's question number one. Um, as you think about where you are now in the industry and how long you've been in this business in the last 13 years at a, at, as a dealer um, and, and, you know, a, a leader within CMA, um, what keeps you up at night? You know, we're the last three years are the most profitable in history. So we had unprecedented profitability while at the same time we had unprecedented levels of uncertainty about where we're going, what we're going to see in the next three, five, 10 years. Maybe it's agency, maybe it's autonomous, maybe it's EV start to take over more and more of, of our industry and so forth subscriptions. But what keeps you up at night right now? Um, I I thought for a long time, David, something was wrong with me. Um, 
I had this fear of failure. I feel like I could lose it all today. Now, that is a, to some people, that would be a curse. I can't really relax. I'm not going to go lay on the beach with my wife, although I'll sit there for a little while. Then I'm going to try to find the same, a high-powered sea to go rent a fast car, do parasailing. I'll sit there for a little while, or I'm going to pull up my iPad, and I'm going to go search for houses or some dream that I would like to buy. And forever, you know, people try to medicate you. And what I did was I turned what some people would sit and say was a curse to a blessing. The way I'm set up and the way I'm wired is great for production. It's great for getting results. It's great. My work ethic is second to none. My fear is I could lose my wife. I could lose my kids. I could lose my career tomorrow. And I don't care how impossible as I continue to go, that is for me to lose everything, which I could. I mean, today could be my last day. I just, I've just worked and give it all that I possibly can every single day because I feel like I could lose it all. The second thing is I worry about my people. I no longer really have to worry about myself financially. I've always saved my money. My wife and I have maxed out our 401ks because I am a W-2 employee, so I pay a lot of taxes. Uh, plus, I'm a partner, so I get dividends. Um, I've almost made it impossible. I worry about specific people that are going through a divorce or that maybe are way above on obligations. And I've been telling them for three or four years, save your money, pay yourself first. And that's what we do through our mentorship. So I'm doing my seventh mentorship now. You mentioned it earlier. I take about 20 associates. We talk about health, wealth, relationships, and it's voluntary. So that's how I pour into them. But I have people right now financially struggling and it bothers me because They've made really good money and they didn't listen to me. Mm-hmm. And now that it's slowed down, what people typically do, David, you know, well, I'm just going to quit and go somewhere else. So hold on a minute. You got to take yourself with you. So uh, we told you that you're going to have to work a little bit harder and you need to train, you know, and it's no longer, you know, do you have it? When can I get it in price? Now, with now, price is going back up to number one a lot of times because there's inventory. Um, so th- what keeps me up night is fear of failure. Second thing is, is I worry about my people. I, I I love that. I love the first one because it keeps us humble. You know, the day that we lose our humility, um, you know, is is the day that we start going sliding down that hill. Um, there is no status quo, as you know, Scott. We're either going forward or we're sliding backwards. And I really love the second one because it speaks to the love of it speaks to the level of true caring consideration, love, respect that you have for your people and knowing, you know, where you came from, knowing what that feels like, knowing when you were sleeping on that cot, when you, you, you had, you know, obviously you have an incredible partner in in your wife who believed in you, but knowing what that takes, because it puts pressure on a relationship. You know, when things start going tough, I mean, everybody was gliding. We, we had most of the salespeople in this country, in, in, from my perspective, they went from being struggling salespeople in 2019 to wealthy clerks by 2022. And now somebody smacked them in the face, woke them up and said, yeah, that dream, that fantasy is over. Get back to work. And many of them are having to work two or three times seemingly as hard to make half as much money. And instead of looking in the mirror and saying, hey, that was a pretty good time. Now I got to get serious. It's so much easier to say, hey, Scott, what are you going to do to bump my pay plan up? Because now I bought a BMW, a boat, a jet ski, you know, this, that, and the other thing. 
and and I I can't I can't afford to live on this much money. Hey, bro, I'm in the same boat. You know, my the store is doing the same thing. We're having the same struggle. Well, it's easier for them to just go. Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. You and I know that's not the answer. So I I totally get that. Let me go in a different direction. What's next for Retail Auto? What do you think is like one of the most transformative or big things that we're going to see in retail auto over the course of the next one to three years? Because that's going to dictate how dealers should, what actions they should take. I mean, we've got disruptors, David. We've got some real concerns, you know, uh, going from, you know, a motorized vehicle with the EPA guidelines. We've got to increase fuel efficiency by, what, 30 some percent by 2026. It's almost impossible. You know, the, the, the V8 engines are, are going away. You know, Hellcats are done this year. TRX is done next year. I sell 50, 60 TRXs a year. I'm the TR, I sell more just about anybody individually, I guarantee it. But there are dealers that sell more than me because they're in much bigger areas than I'm in. But um, those are going on, and this, this electrification is here. So we have to we have Whether to, it makes like, sense get, or not, by oh, the way. But yeah, we, we, we have no other choice. Like, I like a V8. I drive uh, high horsepower V8 vehicles or or, or higher V8s. Um, but like you know, I talked about earlier, even before we hit record, we have to we have to adapt. We have to change. So one thing about this industry is it's one big pivot. The good ones pivot. They not only pivot, they anticipate, and they're the forward thinkers of it. And the worst thing we could always say is because we've always done it that way. I say I don't even want to hear that. And I tell my team all the time if. You know, if, if there's something you see when you're on the front lines that we can do better, more efficient, that's best for the company, best for the customer, bring it to me. Bring it to me. You're owner of this company. Bring it to me. Yeah. So, David, it, it is interesting times. Uh, luckily, in our state, we've got very good uh, VADA is very strong. Don Hall does an excellent job for us. Um, we've got great people at NADA that, that are lobbying for us, whether it's a car, autonomous uh, whether it's electric, whether it's hybrid, whether it's a UFO coming up, we want to we want to sell that for the consumer. We all know that when dealers, when retail dealers are there, manufacturers have tried to go down this route. Um, you know, Tesla is a, is a disruptor; they're a formidable opponent. Absolutely, they're they're ahead of their time. But but the dealer, we compete for your business, and when there's competition over your business. The consumer wins. Plus, who's going to sponsor Johnny's softball team? Who's going to sponsor the the pageant? Go and ask CarMax. Go and ask Tesla. You can't even find a human to even speak to. When you have problems, how are they going to react? We hear the horror story. And the ownership experience is absolutely abysmal. Ridiculous. You've got my cell phone. We'll pick up your car and bring it in for service. You could call and text me. We're accessible. And we give back to our communities. And we employ a lot of people in the communities. Yeah. And uh, you know, we're not going to lay off because of automation. At, during COVID, whether we got PPP or not, we were prepared not to lay anybody off. We were making plans on how were we going to survive if this, this, and this happened. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's interesting times. You've got Apple. You've got all sorts of disruptors coming after us. But we're going to do what we know how to do. That's sell and service our community and take care of our people. And we feel like that we, with our reputation, we're getting open points that we're going to be fine, but we're not putting our head in the sand and saying, electrification, we're just not going down that road. That is totally um, 
that's that's suicide in business if yeah, you think that I way. You and need I, to I, know what's I, going on. I spoke um, not long ago to Liza, and one of the things she mentioned was, you know, the 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 work getting people together for a bit of a CMA EV summit. Can you imagine everybody? Most yep. dealers are pushing back. Most dealers are figuring out how they can minimize EVs. And here we have CMA going, no, if, if the public, if three, five, eight percent, 10 percent of the public in Hawaii, 13 and a half percent of all vehicles sold, new vehicles are EVs, that toothpaste is out of the tube. And so Carter Myers is saying, all right, we don't care if you want to buy a, a scooter, a bike, a car, if you want to subscribe, if you want to lease, if you want to buy, you, we're, we're providing mobility and transportation options to people. Like you said, a UFO. Yeah, whatever. What do you want? You want to want a drone? Sure. Why not? So whatever it is, the public, whatever direction they're going in, if we respond effectively, you know, you can continue to dominate or do extremely well. If you put your hands up or your head in the sand, it's, you could start the clock, the timer, the wind down on irrelevancy. And as I always say, the smartest, the smartest dinosaur that ever existed is still extinct. So um, 45% of the companies that were on the S&P 500 in 2000, you won't find them there today. They wow. failed to respond. So you could be top of the hill. I mean, look at Amazon right now, by the way, and then we should wrap up, but this is, I want everybody to pay attention to this. You are never exempt or safe from being assailed by a competitor. Think of how big Amazon is, this trillion dollar behemoth that is in every business from A to Z. And it seems like there's no way that anybody is ever going to be able to do anything to fire on Amazon. Interestingly, Jeff Bezos some time ago said, I believe there will be a time when Amazon is going to go like that at some point. Well, guess what? There's a little company called TikTok. While everybody's been talking about this implications from a social media perspective, guess where they're opening an office, Scott? Seattle. Where? Seattle. It's almost where? like right in your face, Amazon. They're opening an office in Seattle and they're starting to transact merchandise via TikTok. Wow. These guys have a few users, right? Um, the fastest growth ever for users. Everybody stay tuned. It's going to be interesting to see over the next year or two how much market share they're able to take from their direct connection. As great as Amazon is, they don't have the daily connection with the customer that TikTok does. So that's great. So here's the thing. Two more, three more quick questions. Number one. Is AI more hype from your perspective in terms of how it will impact your business, the uh, and retail auto? Is it more hype, getting more overhyped, more attention than it should, just like Autonomous did four or five years ago? Or do you think it's truly going to have an impact on our business over the course of the next two, three, four, five years? Oh, it's 100% going to, going to impact. 100%. I mean, right now we're on this, you're transcribing it uh, through an AI tool. So you're on here, it's taking notes for you, transcribing, that's AI. Mm -hmm. AI, we 100% are adopting, we actually have an AI company right now that um, we're doing a pilot with that's communicating with our, with our consumers. We have not cut any staff off. We just added two to make sure that we are communicating 
with our consumers, and we're in a we're in a beta test for it. Service so or yes, sales? It's both. Okay. Yeah, both. Yeah. So yeah. we're using it for both. Um, and you know, we found it's got bugs. You know, it's 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 got some issues. It does. Don't want it to replace people. You know, so we most definitely want to use that tool, and we're working through it. And uh, AI is here. It's not going anywhere. And this is what I learned by being from West Virginia. The coal miners back in the 50s and 60s fought, fought the machine. They did re- revolts, you know, pickaxes. You know, we're not going to learn how to operate these machines. So they ended up not learning, fought against the machine. Machines came anyway. They did learn how to operate them. Most of them became unemployed and died of black lung and died. And that was a lesson in West Virginia history that taught a very valuable lesson to me that always, always, always be knowledgeable about what's going on. I'm not the best with technology, but I got people on my team that are. Like even before we got on here today, my, my right-hand guy and I, we were in a meeting. I said, hey, let's test this out real quick. I don't want to get on there and look like an idiot. Because I mean, and a lot of times you just unplug it, plug it back in and things work. It's amazing. You know, the old unplug plug trick. <laughs> so yeah, we, you know, I'm not the smartest person that works here. But I got some really smart people and AI is here and you better learn about it. It can make you a whole lot more efficient. Um, and But we're not going to let it replace any of our people. Either. I, sure. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's the lesson, everybody. AI is, should not be used to replace people. It should be leveraged to help them be better, more effective, more efficient, better workflows. Okay. Last three questions. They're 10 second answers. First car you ever owned. 86 blazer chevrolet blazer wow you can't you 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 came out of the shoot strong with an 86 blazer that's a nice vehicle it was a stick it was a stick stick. blazer they see my parents drove the pieces of crap they at least got me something fairly nice like i said they did everything for their boys so part of this too is if someone's done something for you you know gave up their whole life for you to be successful if I'm not as successful as I possibly could be, all their hard work's going to go in vain. I love that's, that. That's true in anything in life if anybody's ever done something. I love that. And there's no greater blessing than to have the honor and the ability to take care of those people for the rest of our lives. I tell my mom, who's going to be 87, there is literally, she thanks me constantly for things. And I tell her, there literally, there is never enough that I could do for what she's done to allow me to do, to do what I do or to be who I am. And at, at this point, there's nothing I could ever do. That's nearly enough to, to repay what she poured into me and my siblings. Second question, your favorite car, any car in the world right now, what is like the car? You know, David, I, I've owned, uh, I've been fortunate. I'm a car guy. I've owned a Ferrari. I've owned a Porsche. Uh, G- I've owned a Ferrari 48 Spider. I owned a Porsche GT3 RS. I've owned a um, Lamborghini Huracan convertible. I've got a 2023 Z06 Corvette that our Chevrolet store in Richmond allow- allowed me to order the first one. And uh, it took me three years to get it. And GM has absolutely knocked it out of the park. That about car is unbelievable. $160,000 MSRP, and I would take it over top of any of the exotics. Supercars. The Ferrari I sold was almost double that amount, and I would take that Corvette Z06 over top of those cars any day of the week. I so, could not agree with I, you more. I, it's a remarkable piece of engineering. Yep, love it. All right, last question. 
So you have the opportunity to take some time off or just to get a minute, jump into your Z06, windows down, beautiful day in Virginia, and you just are going to go for a drive because you're a car guy. Yeah. What's your go-to driving song? I would say Don't Stop Believing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's – I listen to all sorts of music, man. If you listen to my playlist, it would be like, man, you're you're all over the place. I'm the same. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't listen to all music enough. You know, I, I, I will do it to get my mood, but I'm listening to podcasts all the time. I have a 30-minute ride to, to work, a uh, 30-minute ride home. I could do it in my sleep. Literally, I've been doing that for 13 years, most times six days a week, because anytime I'm in town and I'm not traveling, I'm here. Saturdays, my Saturday morning sales meeting. We are closed on Sunday, and I do not come in and volunteer on Sundays. I have some on my team do it because they wow. heard I used to do it, which is crazy. That's pretty cool. I to, I don't tell them, don't come in. I just said, don't forget what's important to you. You can't be here every day. can't be here every hour. You know, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I probably need to take more time to listen to music. But again, man, I, I just feel like I'm so fortunate that uh, I'm just one blessed guy. I mean, you're a dear friend of mine, someone I admire and respect. Thank Some you. of these rooms, sometimes I look around, I'm like, how in the hell did I get here? And hey. even, no matter how successful I am, I still feel like that a lot of times I don't belong. I mean, Brad Mug, we were just with Brad. Brad's like an older brother to me. I love that guy. Me too. You know, uh, we worked out Class together. Act. We We'd send messages back and forth to each other all the time. Like that dude is, he goes about a different way. He thrives in a major market. I've never really worked besides Richmond in a major, major area. So we learn off of each other. Um, man, I just uh, don't, don't stop believing. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a great place to wrap up because, uh, of course, you know, the uh, another really great human being and phenomenal car dealer is Troy Duhon out of New Orleans. And, what Troy's doing for the people around the world, him and his dear wife is just nothing short of extraordinary. The millions of people that their organization is now fed. Um, basically they're, they're literally almost franchising hope, um, you know, by, by getting other dealers and people to jump aboard their, their goal to feed America. I mean, we've got, I think something like close to 50 million kids that go to bed hungry every single night. And, you know, to be, it's hard to say you're the greatest country in the world, and but yet we let that happen. So thank God for people like Troy and other other great people out there that are doing something about that. But Troy happens to be, you know, very good friends with a couple of the original members of of Journey, and um, you know he shared at the last um, the last business bourbon and cigar event um, a, a story that I had heard a number of years ago. And it's extraordinary about that song. Where that song came from is so applicable to you. Um, because the person that wrote that song as a member of uh, Journey, um, he had been doing the grind for a long time. Imagine Scott Simons for those nine years knowing they're undervalued, they're underpaid, they're there six days a week, they're coming out on their day off. They're doing seemingly everything they're supposed to do. They're following the blueprint for success to get to your dream. And yet for some reason, the dream is not here. So he actually called his dad and said, you know, dad, I've made a decision. It's not happening. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit being a musician. And his dad uh, said three words to him, Scott, don't stop believing. He got off the phone. You get a little bit 
emotion. He got off the phone with that conversation from his dad. And in a very short period of time, I think it was literally like an hour or so, he wrote the most epic anthem ever written in the history of music. I mean, that, that song today, I don't, I'm trying to remember how long it's been, but I would say easily 35 plus years is still is in one of the top selling songs out there, most stream songs on the planet. So isn't that incredible how perfectly that ties in to everything that you shared with us? I can't thank you enough. Uh, my friend, for taking the time to spend with me, to spend with us. I want to thank everybody also for taking the time to listen to what I believe is just absolutely one of my favorite episodes ever and most extraordinary learning opportunities. And I want to thank you for taking the time to to join us. Um, I would ask you, if you know a single human on this earth uh, who what Scott shared, you know, would change their trajectory of their life, would uplift them, would motivate or inspire them, please share it. Please subscribe and download. And I'll look forward to seeing you next time. But Scott, I I literally can't thank you enough. This has been nothing short of extraordinary. Thank you. David, you you have the way of uh, bringing the best out of people. And uh, you're very kind. Thank you. You know how much I respect and admire you. It was an honor to roll with you today, my friend. And thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to seeing everybody next time on the David Spizak Show. Thanks so much. Have an outstanding day. You've been listening to the David Spizak Show. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button and leave a rating wherever you're listening right now. I look forward to having you back in the room where it happens.